Norma, would you pray for us? Good morning, Father. Thank you so much for this great opportunity that we can come together and worship you in the spirit and truth. Father God, we thank you for this day. We give you all the glory and all the honor this morning, Father God. And we pray, Father, that we'll be able to hear directly from you, Father God. I pray, Father, that you open our eyes and ears to hear for the throne of heaven, Father God. I pray that you continue using my brother to speak the truth and only the truth, Father God. I pray, Jesus, that you give him the boldness that you are giving him from the beginning, Father God, to, to speak truth, Father God. And I pray, Jesus, that you penetrate our heart and mind, Jesus, and we desire to worship you and to honor you, God. And I pray, God, that, that we bow down, Father God, that we desire to honor you, Father God, with everything that we do and say, my God, have mercy over this nation. Have mercy over all of us, Father God. Help us to walk in freedom, the freedom that you purchase in the cross, Father God. So we thank you. We glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the Son of our Lord, for 
Father, may that be the cry of our heart, Lord. We confess our love for you. And how grateful all that we are, God, that you first loved us. That you, Lord Jesus, loved us first, that Father, you've begun this work in us, Lord, if we've accepted you as Lord and Savior, you are faithful to complete it, that which you've begun in us, that our lives would truly honor you, Father, that we would be a people who would love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our bodies, with all of our minds. The very being God. So, Father, I pray, God, as we gather this morning, Father, as we've come to open up your word, to be encouraged, Father, we would be attentive to the Holy Spirit as your word is going forth. Holy Spirit, that you would just work within us applicable truth today, God, that would strengthen us and encourage us as we seek to do your will each and every day that our lives would honor you and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go, before we go to open up Mark chapter 3, let's go to James chapter 1. Would you like a blanket? You can get a blanket over there if you want one, if you get too cold. James chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 2. As we've opened up the book of Mark, we understand that Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this gospel to encourage the believers that are in Rome. And as I keep reminding us every time these past couple weeks and probably throughout the study of Mark, I'm going to continue to remind us about these believers. They lived in a day and age when persecution was at the all-time high. You've heard me say over and over that Emperor Nero hated Christians. In fact, he burnt them on crosses throughout the city in the evening. He captured them, he paraded them into a coliseum, as the coliseum was packed full of unbelievers, to watch the believers get devoured by wild animals. These believers were under intense persecution for their faith in Christ. They also had to deal with the culture around them. The culture was one of great perversion, a lot of sexual stuff going on. It was a culture that promoted oneself and many gods. It was a culture that was so opposite against Christianity, and yet God established a church in this city so that there would be light 
in the darkness. So people would have hope. These believers are being reminded who Jesus was. This gospel is presented to them to keep Jesus in the center of their lives. Reminding them that he was the greatest servant of all. And as he came to serve, they were being reminded in the midst of persecution, in the midst of a perverse generation, they were being reminded to go and serve. Not to hide. Not to lock themselves away in a building. But to get out among them and to live. Let their light shine. No matter what it would cost them. No matter what they had to endure. Go and serve those around you. And so as I've been studying through Mark, I'm reminded of the call in James to remain faithful and to endure. Again, yet another letter written to the church that is scattered. This letter that James wrote was also an encouragement to the body of Christ. To remind them, first and foremost, who Christ was, and then secondly, who they are in Christ. So listen as the Word of God is read from James chapter 1, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance, and some translations uses the word perseverance, is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So let that, which God has planned and purposed for your life, finish its work. Endure. Persevere. We also know the Word of God says that when trials come, and the lives of believers... They're there to produce something within us. Perseverance. Character. Hope. And that hope is in Christ. And that hope in Christ will never disappoint us, no matter what we're facing. And you've heard me say before, when you're enduring seasons, or maybe of great trials, so many times we're quick for God to get us out of the trial. Fix it for us. Right away, God, we don't want to go through it. So many times those trials are needed. Because that's how we grow up. That's how we mature. And I've encouraged you before, if you're entering a season that's under intense trials, if everything's pressing up against you, pray not to get out of it until you've learned everything you need from it. Don't miss out on its purpose for your life. So I don't know where we think as Christians we were called to a comfortable life. No, in this world you will have trouble. So be of good cheer. He's already overcame the world. This is the truth that we believers have in Christ, in Jesus. He's already overcome the world. So that which is pressing up against you is not there to overtake you, it's there to develop you. 
We need to change our mindset. And we've been talking as we started on Friday night to, to understand this, the reality of what Scripture says, that as you think, so you go. If all you're doing is thinking about your problems, then your problems will be that which is mastering you. The negativity will be that which develops you. You'll be developed one way or another. You're either developed to be even more rebellious towards God, or you're developed to be even more humble before Him. It's your choice. As you think, so you go. So we can look at our problems, and we can look at our trials, and we can look at our, 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 our situation, and we can go, but God, you are for me, not against me. So there's something in the midst of this that I am to receive, that I'm to, to grow from, that I'm to learn from, that allow me to be attentive to that. Allow me to allow you to be God. Allow me to allow you to be God. This hasn't surprised you. That which I'm facing hasn't surprised you because you're sovereign. You're still on the throne. God is not pacing back and forth, wringing out his hands, trying to figure out how he's going to solve it for you. No, the good news today is already solved. Jesus. Jesus. He finished that which he came to do. It is finished. He has defeated sin and death. He has stripped the enemy of his power. The good news as believers is that we can accept the full assurance that Christ is victorious because of his resurrection. So these believers are being encouraged to consider it joy. So let your endurance grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, don't miss this, it says you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God and in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. It's a picture of a divided heart. We've all had it at times, and maybe you're sitting here today with one. In a heart that asks God, but even in our asking, we don't believe. We're more focused on our problems than on our God. We're like a wave. That is blown and tossed by the wind. If that's how you're living, the Word of God says such people should not expect to receive anything for the Lord because their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. You know how your mind is. You know how it works when you're living with a divided heart. You're unstable. You're unstable in your thinking, your emotions, and everything about you. Everything's out of order. Chaos is ruling and reigning. No matter how well you're trying to maintain life, chaos is ruling. That's not 
how a believer should be living. Our loyalty is to God and to God alone. So it's not that we condemn ourselves or beat ourselves up because, oh, look, we have a divided heart. No, we just reality is like, oh, God, that sin, forgive me. Like we were talking about on Friday night, we have to stop making excuses for our sin. We have to stop making excuses for the choices that we're making that are contrary to God's truth. We recognize it's sin. We can't continue to blame people for our lives. We can't keep, continue to be a product of our brokenness and of our past because we've been born again of a new nature. And as believers, that's what we're to grow in, the newness of life. What is my identity now? How am I to be living now? Remember what I've encouraged us is that we're not a product of the fall any longer. As believers, you're not a product of the fall any longer. The product of the fall is the sin nature. It's a nature that's in complete rebellion towards God. It's a nature that says, I'm going to do me, God. And it's even a nature that will slap Jesus on its life and still do themselves and feel somehow, some way, they're safe and secure in the Father's arm. In reality, what they're doing is they're storing up wrath. We're a product of his resurrection now, of this new nature. We're born again. Remember, the order has now been shifted. There's a new way to live. We're not living out of, again, the brokenness of life. We're not to have a divided heart. We're to trust God in all things, in every season. We're to trust Him, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're to trust Him even if we find ourselves in the midst of sin. That we can get up and we can turn back to Him. That we don't abide and we don't remain and let sin master us. Because as Romans 6 says, sin is no longer to be your master. Jesus is your master. He is your Lord. If you're saying you're a believer, then that's what you're confessing. Like, I'm not following myself any longer. I don't have to give in to these desires any longer. A Christian doesn't remain in sin. Sin does not define a Christian. That doesn't mean that Christians won't sin. It's just that when they do, they're quick to repent. They're quick to get up. Your life should be marked by the Holy Spirit of just not hearing the word, but obeying it. Because you're growing, you're maturing, you're not perfected until you're with Him. So the goal and the aim is not to be perfect. The goal and the aim is just to consider to endure. Consider to, to commit yourself to persevere, to endure, to trust God, to, to allow Him to work within you that which He has begun in you. He goes on here to say, in verse 19, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. 
you must do what it says. Now, this isn't man setting a standard. This is God speaking to those who belong to Him. Just don't listen to the Word. You must do it. Listen, you all know if you're a follower of Christ or not. I mean, let's just get real. If you're just hearing the Word and not doing it, you're not a follower. You're not a believer, and Christ isn't your Lord. Well, that's hard to take, Pastor. I don't believe that. How could you not? Read Scripture in its fullness. Read Scripture in its fullness. I love you enough, and I care enough about your spiritual life and your eternity than to try to water down the gospel and give you something that's not true. To give you a kingdom and not give you the king. It's very clear what the word of God says. If you're just a hearer of the word, so what you show up for church? That doesn't make you a Christian. You can be in church every time the doors open. That doesn't make you a Christian. You can do good works. That doesn't make you a Christian. You can follow all the rules and the laws and everything, but that doesn't make you a Christian. If your heart is not sincere in your devotion towards God, in hearing of His Word, and then obeying it. Not for you to get recognition, but for Him to receive the glory and the honor. You come to church because you desire to be among the fellowship. God's people. You read the Bible. You, you serve others. You, your life is changing because you're applying, as we were talking about on Friday, applying truth to your life. To have the knowledge and not apply it is really no knowledge at all. There's a lot of educated people who are truly ignorant. They have a lot of knowledge, but it's not applied, so really the knowledge is worthless. Look at the Pharisees. Look at the Sadducees. They were puffed up with knowledge. They knew it all, and yet they didn't know him. So ask yourself as we're sitting here and we're going through the word today, ask yourself, am I just a listener? Am I just hearing the word and not applying it? Because if I am, then something's wrong. Because how could you continue to go about a life that doesn't even honor God because there's no obedience. You're not obeying. You're rebelling. Jesus is making it very clear all throughout Scripture. He knows those who will follow Him and those who won't. He knows those who are just hanging out among Him and they really don't care about Him. They, they could care less, but just keep doing for me, Jesus. He knows our hearts. And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit inspires James to remind the church. Now listen, you just can't be a listener. You must be a doer. And get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. And humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. 
But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for your doing. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Remember, we spoke on Friday, too, about the tongue. The Word of God is very clear. There's power in the tongue. You can speak life or you can speak death. I encourage all the time, y'all all the time, and I even encourage myself, that you want to know how close you are to God? Listen to what comes out of your mouth. Listen to the thoughts that are going on in your head that are contrary to God's truth. That doesn't honor God. It doesn't even display the fullness of who He is. Your words truly reveal the condition of your heart. And even your thoughts that you're listening to truly reveals the condition of your heart. We ought to be a people who are seeking Him. Because He is the only one with answers. He's the only one that can tame the tongue. He's the only one that can heal the heart. He is the only one that can bring forth that which He has purposed in our lives. And that's why this life must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you are only fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And a lot of times that's where we leave it. But don't miss the last part of that verse. And refusing to let the world corrupt you. It's your humble service, your caring, and your compassion for others. And not allowing the world to corrupt you. We're not to live like the world, you all. No matter what's being preached out there, that gives you a right to yourself. You don't have to be like the world. Remember, let's go to Mark 3. These believers in Rome are being reminded to keep Jesus first. You're enduring, you're facing many trials. The culture around you is screaming at you to come to it. But remember, you're not to be corrupted by it. Believers are being persecuted. It looks as if God lost. <laughs> Society is a mess. The world seems dark. But the church is being reminded. This is Jesus. Don't forget the one whom you've given yourself to. I encouraged this last week to the, the five different themes that we're going to kind of hear throughout Mark. Last week we talked about Jesus being the Son of God. This week I just want to go over with you about Jesus Christ, the servant. You see, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah by coming to earth. 
He did not come as a conquering king that the people expected, but as a servant, keeping the fact that he was the Messiah a secret. Eventually, Jesus would reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, but first he would reveal himself as a suffering servant. Jesus served by telling people about God, healing them, and giving his life as the atoning sacrifice for their sins. Jesus suffered by being born into a poor family and being tempted, questioned, rejected, falsely accused, and convicted, beaten, hit, spat upon, tortured, mocked, and then crucified. Giving his life and becoming sin on the cross was the ultimate act of suffering and service. Jesus taught and lived that whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what's the importance of that for today? Those who claim Christ as Savior and Lord should follow his example by serving God and others. Real greatness in Christ's kingdom is shown by service and sacrifice, instead of being motivated by ambition or love of power or position, as is true for most people. We should do God's work because we love Him and His creation. Again, don't lose sight of who this gospel was written for. Not just then, but for us today. It has been preserved for us to open up and to be encouraged by the word, the living word today in our culture. Everything out there, this world system is based out of, out, out of man's ways, man's purpose. It's led by sin. It entices everything about the old nature. This earth is heading to destruction. Jesus himself is returning. And this time when he returns, he's coming as the reigning <coughs> king. He came already as the suffering serpent. He has revealed himself to mankind. We have responded, if you're a Christian, to that. And in that, we understand and we're giving the understanding of God's ways, His plan, His purpose. And we go about our day remaining humble before God, humble before others, and serving others. Loving others. Being filled with compassion for others. I would soon rather wash your feet than you wash mine. How may I serve you? That should be our heart. Each and every day. And it's a process of growing in that. We're not always going to do it perfectly. But we're striving to grow and to mature in this. Give me the heart to serve as you served. The kingdom of God, there's principles of the kingdom of God that as Christians we must learn. And not only learn, we must apply and live. Last week we talked about um, the, the disciplines, if you would. We talked about fasting. We talked about 
prayer. We talked about devotion and, and these disciplines that we as believers should have in our lives. And they shouldn't be a burden on us. No, these are just things that we're growing in. These are disciplines that we recognize that we have to maintain within us for the newness, this new creation, this life born of the Spirit to grow. If we're not doing, then we're not growing. And if we're not growing, the only way that we're, only thing else that can happen to us is we go back to our old ways because that's all we know. But just as there's disciplines, there's also principles of the kingdom. Everything is reordered. The ways of man, the ways of this world, it's all about you. Gain all that you can get. Doesn't matter how you get it. Strive and do and gain popularity, money, success. Make it all about you. Demand that man owes you something. And it's so different in the kingdom of God. We're not striving for ourselves. We're living to honor Him. If you're going to be great in the kingdom, you must first know how to serve. What you sow to, you reap. If you sow to the flesh, then the ways of the flesh is how you live. If you sow to the Spirit, then your life will grow and mature as one who is led by the Spirit of God. These principles. We give, not in hopes to, you know, make us known, but we give, and in that giving, it comes back. And then coming back, it's not for us to hoard, but it's to continue to, to give. Our lives should be marked as servants. As servants. As servants. That was his life. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was rejected. He was spit upon. He was mocked. He was laughed at. His family thought him to be crazy. He wasn't accepted. And he was hung on a cross. Tortured. Shed his blood for you and for me. And no greater love than that will ever be displayed. He's come to set us free, you all. He knows the condition of our hearts. And I love the fact that he doesn't stand there with his arms closed, tapping his foot, reminding us how horrible we are. You know, his arms were stretched wide. His body was crucified. His body was given as a sacrifice for us. And on the third day, he rose again to set us free. To give us life and life in abundance. A life that would be lived for him, marked by his life. 
So to live a Christian life any other way is nonsense. Because it's not what Christ came to give. No matter how it's presented to you. The Christian life is a life of service. You will be mocked. You will be laughed at. You may be beaten up. People may think you're crazy. Life may not go the way you want it. But rest assured, Christ is for you and not against you. He's come to set us free. Free from ourselves. He's come to give us the assurance of salvation, this free gift that He gives us. But in accepting it, we know there's a way to live. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us, as it costed Him. Because this world is not our home. No matter how much we try to feel at home in this world, a believer will never be at home. We're just foreigners. We're just passing through this life, representing Christ, doing the Father's business, seeing others come to Him, standing up for truth in an age where even the religious system mocks true Christianity. The religious system is no different than the days of Jesus. You have men and women controlling congregations. You have men and women controlling institutions. And their lives don't even represent Christ. And yet they have thousands of millions of followers. It's no different. As it was then, so it is now, and so it will be until he returns. We're all not to be shocked by it. That's what I keep saying. We're not, why are we angry at the world? Why are we angry? We recognize that's what's going on, and it's only going to get worse. So how can we respond as the church in this world? By serving. By loving. Realizing that at any moment, if we don't keep our eyes on him, we can go that way. So humble us, Lord, lest we think we're better than them. No, we're not. And so we find as we open up the word today, Jesus is confronted again by the Pharisees. They're seeking a reason to put him to death. They want to maintain their control over God's people, and they want to maintain their position. Again, they had all the knowledge, and yet they didn't know. They had no clue who he was. They were so concerned about their rights, their ways, their rules, their laws. So Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Remember, as we finished chapter 2, they were irritated by Jesus because his disciples was breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. 
So he's already had it out with them regarding the Sabbath. And he boldly declared that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. So now he enters into a synagogue and he notices this man with the deformed hand. It was the Sabbath and Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planted to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But in doing so, they violate their own law because by them accusing Jesus, by their own law, they're working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man, and listen y'all, I keep telling you, come on, can we really see Jesus for who he is? He is not a weak-willed, some kind of spiritual guru guy who, who has no authority. No, he's God and he has all authority. And yet though he's full with such compassion, he's filled with such boldness. I love learning about Jesus, his character, how he handled himself among the religious. He handled them in a way that exposes their ignorance to everyone around them. Look what he does here. I love it. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Come on. Get up here. Come stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. I was reading different commentaries about this exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders. They said that in the way that it is presented, and as he questioned them, in front of all the people, he questioned them in such a way that it left a long, uncomfortable pause. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been around where conversation has gone on, everything gets awkward? And it's like, oh, well, I can only imagine what these people were like. What are these religious leaders that we follow going to say? It's really uncomfortable. It's a long pause. Silence. Hit the synagogue. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? And this day, is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. It was uncomfortably quiet. A very long pause. They, this was their opportunity. But they knew that they were set up. <laughs> because in setting them up, Jesus was going to expose their heart. He was going to expose how they break their own law. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod, 
to plot how to kill Jesus. He was deeply saddened by the hard hearts. Oh, that we wouldn't be a people with hardened hearts. That we wouldn't be a religious people to hold a form of religion but deny God's power. I keep reminding you, get in the scripture. Those are the only people the word of God informs us to stay away from. People who say, I'm a follower of Jesus and yet don't obey. They hold a form of religion, but they deny his power because their life isn't changing. They're mastered by sin. Don't even eat with them, the word of God says. And yet we're quick not to eat with the lost. What craziness is that? Get out there, eat among them. Be among them. Don't get tainted by them. Remember we talked about that last week. Everyone's really quick to say, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. And they say that statement to justify the sin in their life. What kind of craziness is that? Yes, Jesus hung out with sinners. But he didn't lose his identity and who he was. In fact, remember, when the Pharisees called the sinners scum, why is he hanging out with such scum? Jesus, Jesus didn't water down his words. He, he didn't mince words to try to steer away from revealing that these people were sinners. No, he called them sick. They're in need of a savior. They're sinners. I'm like, wow. And yet the people still hung around him. Now, their motives and their hearts, are. we see as we read Scripture, we're in different places. Some were there because, hey, he does stuff for us. Ooh, let's hang out with the, with the next elite spiritual one that's on earth. He's all this power. Oh, he's feeding us. He's healing us. He's doing all these works for us. So, yeah, call me a sinner. I'll hang out with you because you're doing for me. Others, they were really moved. They accepted him for who he was. They followed them. Their lives began to change. Jesus hung out with them because he knew that's where he needed to be. He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't lose himself. He didn't have sex with them. He didn't drink with them. He didn't party in a sense of embracing all of their acts of the flesh. He was among them, but he did not get tainted by them. They were drawn to him because there was something different about him. So now we have these, these Pharisees and these Sadducees, these religious men who are irritated. Yet again, he exposes them. But he's deeply saddened by the hardened heart. He knew. They're not getting it. In fact, they never will. He even calls them the, the children of the devil. And I can only imagine the deep sadness because he looked at them and they knew the truth. 
They knew of him. They knew of the Messiah that was to come. And yet, they would not accept him. Because their hearts were so hardened to live for themselves. Remember, in this age as well, they were waiting for the Messiah. And not just the religious leaders, but the people of God were waiting for the Messiah. But they thought the Messiah was to come to help them with the physical part of life. They're gonna, he's going to free us from our oppressors, from the Romans. He will be our king on this earth. They were just seeing the Messiah as one that would come to meet their temporal needs. But yet, that's not what Jesus' purpose was. Jesus came to meet the spiritual need. That we would be born again. And as we studied on Friday, we understand the, the condition of man once Adam and Eve sinned. They were spiritually dead, mentally deprived, and emotionally deprived. But in Christ, when you come to Christ, you accept Christ, the wholeness, the fullness that comes from a new life in Christ. You're now accepted. You have significance. And you're secure. The basic needs that all men and women and children are searching for in the flesh just to be accepted, just, just to belong, just to feel a value, just to feel a worth. You can only find that in Christ. You're not going to find it in the temporalness of life. It'll never fill you or complete you, no matter how hard you try to make yourself better. It's worthless. But Christ comes because he knows the condition of man. He comes to say, come to me. Come to me, and I will heal you. Salvation is yours. You're restored back to God through me. I'm the only way to God. His heart was deeply saddened. He knew these men's motives. And they went out, and now they're discussing on how to kill him. And I love how it transitions into Jesus now and his ministry and the crowds are following him. See, Jesus is our example. As you study scripture and as you're applying scripture to your life, be attentive to how Jesus lived. He just had, if you would, the men of the hour reject him. But notice he did not get caught up in the rejection. He went about the Father's business. Oh, how many of you have been caught up in rejection? These were religious people. This should have been the people who would have, should have protected him, if you would. I'm here for you, Jesus. I know who you are. You're the Messiah. I'm with you. These were the religious people. Some of your deepest hurts are going to happen in the church. Some of your deepest hurts are going to happen in the church. Among, and I use this term loosely, believers. Since coming a Christian, I have been wounded more in my life than I ever was when I was in the world, enduring all the sexual, mentally, and emotionally abuse that I went through. Think about that. I'm being serious. 
At least I know that those who were sexually abusing me and hurting me and harming me, I knew that's what they were doing. I knew every time they came around me what they expected of me and what to do. They didn't put on a facade. And if they did put on this facade to get to me, after the first time I, their facade was taken off, and it just became easier for them to abuse me and to hurt me. Did you get around Christians? Just wears the mask. And they hurt you, they abuse you, they manipulate you. They turn against you. They're quick to devour you. And they're quick to tell you that you're the devil. But there's something wrong with you. And they try to exert this authority over your life. And the pain is deep. Because even if you go tell the church or you go tell other Christians, most likely they're already influenced by those in authority and they're going to look at you and they put you out. They turn against you. And there's a lot of lonely Christians sitting alone on some days because they just don't want to go to fellowship. Because they're still embracing the rejection and the hurt and the pain. But oh, that we would be like Jesus. How do you come over rejection? How, do you, how are you healed? How can you go on? Take your eyes off of it. You say that that what that's it's that easy? Yeah. I don't make light of what maybe you suffered. I don't make light of what I have suffered being a Christian. But I know if I allow it to master me, then all I know to go back to is my old ways. But if I keep my eyes on Jesus, and I say, Jesus. If they did this to you, who am I to think that I'm better than you? And I depend on him, and you need to depend on him every single day. God, I don't want this to master me. Help me not get sidetracked. Help me to stay focused on the call of my life. Help me to live for you and not get so isolated with myself. Jesus didn't. Jesus did. He went on about the Father's business. In fact, it says large crowds started following him. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and Mia, from east of the Jordan River, and even from as far as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day. So all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever they possessed, I'm sorry, and whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God! But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Wow! 
Jesus, you all. He didn't get ruined by rejection. He didn't try to adapt himself to the religious way so the religious leaders would follow him. No, he was confident in the fact of who God was and what his purpose was. And crowds began to follow him. They were pressing in on every side. Again, a lot of them were there just to be healed. Just do for me, Jesus, do for me, Jesus, do for me, Jesus. A lot of them there with sincere hearts. Truly, can this be the Messiah? And even in amongst his ministry, there were those who were possessed by demons. And they would throw these bodies down before Jesus, and they would begin to shriek, and look what they would tell, name him. You are the Son of God. And remember, we've already learned, as we're going through Mark, in that culture that day, in order to state someone's name is to gain power over them. And Jesus is recognizing what's going on, so Jesus, again, is silencing them. See, there's no greater power than Jesus. There's nothing greater than the throne of God. As Christians, we're not to live in fear of the enemy. We're not to live in fear of the world. And we're not even to be afraid of ourselves. Because we're freed in Christ. All authority and power has been given to us because of Christ. And we have the authority in Christ to silence the enemy. And to not be tempted or lured by the world and not to give in to our desires. As far as your desires as believers, whatever's within you that's of the old nature, you're to consider it nailed to the cross. As far as the, the ways of this world, you're not to be lured by it because you recognize that system is only based on temporalness. All of that is fading, so why would I give myself to that which is already done with? What hopes in this world are you putting yourself into? Social media is a big thing nowadays. Everybody wants to be known. Just one good video and you can be known worldwide. Many followers. Seeking to have acceptance because they're not getting it in their home. Or in other relationships. Seeking to be known, accepted, Seeking to, to be validated because of the way my body looks. So I'll post it all for all to see. Seeking whatever it is because of brokenness out there. But that's not what a Christian should be doing. Use these platforms as tools for Righteousness. of righteousness. Because there's nothing in this world, there's no comfort, there's no healing, there's no wholeness that's going to come from anything in this world. None of it, of what it can provide to you. All the addictions that are out there, none of it is ever going to heal you. It's there to destroy you. But you're a Christian. 
You're not to be consumed or tainted by the world. You're not to go seeking the things in this world to, to fulfill you because as a Christian, you're already fulfilled. You're whole. So you're growing in that knowledge. You're, you're understanding how to apply this knowledge so you're not consumed by what's out there. You can walk in the world and look at it differently. And then the enemy and the demons and that realm that is unseen, but it's there, it has no power over you. The Word of God says that He blinds the eyes of the unbeliever. He once blinded yours. He once was the one who was leading you. You're not led by Him any longer. True spiritual warfare is humbleness before God. First submit yourself to God, then resist the enemy. And he has to flee. Why do we as believers continue to give Satan more credit and power than we do our God? It makes no sense. There are Christians who tremble at the thought of Satan and demons. They see demons in everything. They're out there doing warfare prayers and their lives are chaotic. And they wonder why their mind is tormented. See, as a believer, we recognize that, 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 that realm. But we also recognize it has no right. The only way that realm can gain authority over us is because we submit to it. We talk about this on Friday night. We'll continue to talk about it. Because the Word of God has a lot to say about spiritual warfare. Like you choose to give yourself to Him, Satan. You choose to give yourself to the things of this world. And you choose to give in to your desires. As a Christian, Satan, the world, and even yourself, your flesh, cannot overtake you or rule you unless you allow them to. It's your choice. No one else can do it. No one else can do it. Only you. You choose to submit. The Word of God says that if you give the enemy a foothold, give him just one little part of your mind and your, your, your day of thought, he will develop a stronghold, a thought process that is contrary to God's truth. But you'll believe it and that will become your truth and that is what then you submit to and it masters you. But you have to remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And the word of God says that he's giving you the weapons of your warfare to demolish those strongholds. Truth. If you're captive, if you're enslaved to that which is contrary to God's truth, use truth to be set free. The truth shall set you free. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. So if you have a sin in your life, if you have issues in your life that are just going on and they're ruling you and they're mastering you and you see no other way out but remaining in it, you're enslaved to sin. You've given the enemy a foothold. He's developed a stronghold and you're believing that. 
And your heart is hardening to God, even if you're sitting in church. And then the Word of God says, you're storing up wrath. You're not going to be able to stand before him and say, well, it was the devil's fault. You're not going to have to stand before him and say, well, it's just, it was how the things were presented to me and I just couldn't help myself. You're not going to be able to stand before him and say, well, you know, that's just how I was born. It's just all the abuse that happened to me and all the excuses that we have in our hearts and our mind that we justify remaining in rebellion towards him. Oh God, help us. Either he will stand before him and he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. Or he'll look at you and say, depart from me. I don't know you. You're a worker of sin. He either has come and he's finished what he purposed to do, or he's a liar. I choose to believe he's not a liar. I choose to believe his word. Again, it doesn't make me perfect. It doesn't mean that I won't sin. But when I do, the spirit of God within is easy to bring conviction and go, oh God. And it's that true repentance. You get up and you move forward. It doesn't have to define you. Get up, move forward, keep going. Not to sit and remain in it. Again, the enemy has no rule. He has no right. We've got to stop giving him rule and reign. You should be able to go forth because God is for you. Your steps have been ordained. You're of the light now. And that's the confidence that you can walk in, not in of yourself, but because of Christ. You can go into places and you can begin to speak forth God's truth. You can begin to see the spiritual atmosphere change in places and in the hearts of men and women. I told you on Sunday, I truly believe that in this hour it's time to awaken. The church needs to awaken to the truth in which the Bible says that within you is the power, the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead. And yet the church, we choose to remain defeated. What is that? I would rather us seek more of that truth than continue to talk about our poor, defeated lives. And I would rather surround ourselves with people who would encourage the truth than people who would just coddle us and go, oh, poor you, poor you, poor you. We all have a story, and we can try to outdo each other. We all, every human being has a story. How life sucks. But oh, that we would tell of the story. The good news of Jesus. It was come to set the captives free. Who says, come, follow me. I'm going to show you how to live in this world and not be tainted by it. 
I'm going to show you how to live a life to the full. So at the end of your life, when you're facing eternity, oh, there's no fear. You're accepted, my child. Well done. Enter in. Ah, the good news. Crowds were pressing in on him. Demons were trying to announce who he was. He says, not now. <laughs> the time's not now. Be quiet. Silence. <clears throat> Isn't that crazy? Even the demons know who he is. The Bible says they know the word and they tremble at it. They know. <laughs> They're already defeated. <clears throat> wow. Afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain and called on, out the ones he wanted to go with him. Remember, he had a huge following. But he chose 12. He chose 12. And one ultimately would betray him. His purpose, his purpose destined to be the betrayer. And Jesus knew it all along. Isn't that something? Judas, destined to be the betrayer. And Jesus knew from the beginning who he would be. But he chose the twelve. And in doing so, he trained them. A disciple is a follower. They're also called the apostle, the apostles, which means messenger. So to go forth. It wasn't until after his death and his resurrection that they were filled with the, the Holy Spirit. And their purpose really became their reality at that time. Until then, we see them wavering back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They were just men. They weren't of spiritual pedigree. They were just your ordinary men. And yet Jesus calls them to himself. But he knows the plan. He was going to take 12. One would betray him. He would then be replaced. But he takes 12. These 12 men has changed our world. Because they obeyed Jesus. And the same call that was on them is on us today. Your life can go and impact the world for Jesus. Each of us sitting in this room, before you were born, God purposed you. And the Word of God says to do good works. From the beginning of time, even before the foundations of the earth, you were purpose to do good works. And I've been thinking about Christian. You, since it's your birthday week. And I remember when I found out Michelle was pregnant. And I don't know if you remember me doing this when I would pray over Christian in Michelle's stomach. And the vision that the Lord gave me That he would be a voice to the nations. A 
prophetic voice that will proclaim God's word and God's truth. But it's the same for all of us. There's a purpose for your life. No one is an accident. <laughs> no one is an accident. You were purposed to do good works. You were purposed to do good works for Christ. You belong to Him. And so many times we don't come to Him because we feel like, oh, we just can't measure up. Or whatever keeps you from living as a Christian, we got to give over ourselves and truly see the fullness. And trust me, know this, just as it's known that you were purposed to do good works for the glory of God, do you understand that's why from the beginning that you were conceived that the enemy has been intent to destroy your life. From the beginning, the moment you come out of the womb, not only did you, one, receive a death sentence, because the flesh dies, don't wait to get the, 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 the call from the doctor, and give you the death sentence. You've already been given the death sentence the moment you took breath. Because the human body dies. So that's why we're not living out of the flesh. Because we recognize everything of the flesh and of the temporalness is dying. So why would we choose the things that are dying when we've been given the hope of the living? For eternity. But in so, with this understanding, you were purposed for good works. And just as they can cry out, you are the son of God, they knew his purpose. So they know our purpose. And in that, your life has been marked. That your good works that were purpose would be hindered and never come to pass. So the enemy does all that he can to keep you confused about your identity. To confuse you about Jesus. To destroy your life. To allow all the craziness that takes place in this world. There's a mark on you. Destroy him. <clears throat> Kill her. The enemy knows that his time is near. And so he pours out his fury. But oh, people of God, do not listen to him any longer. Whatever comes your way, however he may try to hinder what God has for you, get up each day and press in and say, I will not be overcome. I may be pressed in on every side, but I will not be crushed. Begin to proclaim truth. That's the only way that you remain free is the truth that you believe, that you believe and you obey. Continue to claim the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word. No matter how people surround you, good caring people will come. But it's God's truth that sets you free. 
not man's thoughts or man's ways or man's interpretation. God's truth. He chooses these men. He called out the ones who wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the twelve he chose. Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed him the sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and then Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. And isn't it funny, though he knew his purpose, Judas performed the same works as the others. Do y'all hear that? Though Jesus knew it would be Judas who would betray him, he didn't hold back from him. Wow. He called these twelve to himself, and he poured himself into them. He gave them all authority and power. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his families heard, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. This is Jesus' family. Remember Mary, his mother? She had children, other children. They showed up on the scene. He's out of his mind. We're here to get him. This is beyond chaos now. Don't expect even those that are closer to you to believe in the calling that's on your life. Again, this is bloodline. This is Mary. These are his his brothers. And they think he's crazy. Hello, Mary, did you forget your encounter with the Holy Spirit? Mary, did you forget how God moved and how you humbly prayed? But I'm sure as a mother, just as it's chaotic it was of a time it was then, for everyone to grasp the fullness of what was happening, she was more concerned about him physically. I'm sure it was really hard as a mother and as a family member who loved him. Genuinely loved him and Yet they saw what was happening. And they wanted to protect him. The motives, though, saw a lack of unbelief. But we don't fault them for that. They wanted to protect him. 
He's mad. He's out of his mind. This has gotten out of hand. Let's gather him together. Let's get him. The teachers of religious law had arrived from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. So we have his family on one side calling him a madman. Now we have the religious leaders who show up. He's of the devil. He's possessed. They didn't call him Satan. They said he's just possessed by the power. He's possessed. Remember earlier we talked about rejection? Talk about being hit with a one-two. My family's calling me mad. The religious people are calling me possessed. I mean, that could do works on your mind. But he wasn't affected by it. He knew who he was. Oh, come on. We too can have the assurance of who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. I remember when I gave my life to Christ. God bless my mother. She thought it was crazy. <clears throat> In fact, behind the scenes, she was working with the man that I was with to put me away. Because he's crazy. He's lost his mind. Didn't mean my mother didn't love me. She had no clue what was going on. <laughs> what on earth? Years later, my mother would embrace me and say, go be about your father's business. And she would tell me that. what they're saying about you. Hinder you. It doesn't matter. I've come to accept what God has done in your life because I've accepted Him. It doesn't matter. How they treat you what they say. Go. <clears throat> Listen. I could have, you could choose to allow the rejection to mess with your mind. But don't. Don't. My own siblings Think I'm of the devil. Think I'm crazy. <coughs> I go. It's okay. 
gave thought to it every day, it would blow my mind. But I don't. Because I remember not only my father's voice, when he called me to himself, but I remember the affirmation out from my mother and even my physical father. That says, go. We know who you belong to. And so I say to you all, go and be about your father's business. Don't worry about what people think of you, say about you, criticize you, tear you down. <laughs> go. Be about your father's business. Go and serve him. Jesus had two sides coming against him. And Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. <laughs> oh, man. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth. All sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemies the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he was possessed by an evil spirit. Wow. He made it very clear to them. I am not possessed. How can a divided house stand? He didn't shriek back. He didn't pull away. No, he confronted them. You say this about me? Let me lay this out for you. Tell me. Tell me. And he lays it out. Wow. And then he goes even a step further. Best be careful. Because you speak against the Holy Spirit and the power of God, that's a sin that, careful, cannot be forgiven. Careful. Look what he says there. All sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit And I know a lot of people struggle in life with the unpardonable sin. Well, did I do it? Did I not do it? Did I this? Did I that? Listen, just alone you questioning shows you that you haven't done it because 
your heart wouldn't be hard. Your heart would be hardened if you blasphemy the Holy Spirit. You would go so far away, and you would move against everything of God's moving, and everything that's above God. You would continue to reject it and pull away. Just you questioning alone shows that God is working, drawing you to truth. So rest assured, in case anyone's sitting here wondering, have I done that? These men were calling what God was doing through the power of the Holy Spirit, the devil, the working of the devil. He exposes them. He exposes their motives and he also gives them a really strong warning. Careful. Then Jesus' mother and brothers, here they are, (laughs) came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. Remember, they were there to seize him. (laughs) Oh, he's coming with us. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, Hey, your mother and brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Anyone who does God's will, anyone who hears and obeys, belongs to the family of Christ. He wasn't disrespecting his mothers and brothers but he was establishing the spiritual reality of life. Families are broken left and right. A lot of us sitting in this room come from broken families. A lot of us have relational issues within the family. But your church family, in the truest essence of family, that's, a, that's family. That's why we're seeing all through the New Testament how we are to live among each other. How we're to encourage and to edify and build each other up. And I heard this quote the other day that's been sitting on me for quite some time. I'm like, wow, that's so, that's such, I love this. It says, before there can be a, com- a community of faith, there must be a faith to confess. Before there can be a community of faith, there must be a faith to confess. (coughs) We come to church, no matter where the church meets, because we've said that we want to be a part of this family. I'm accepted. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I know that they love me unconditionally. I know that they will hold up the the standard of truth because of their desires to see me remain free. And in return, I will do the same for them. That we will come to a place of serving each other and loving each other and building a community. Not not a building, not, not anything else. So it's nice to have buildings, and it's nice to have property, it's nice to have a house, it's nice to have a place to gather. 
Some Christians don't have that. They have to sneak out into the jungle. They have, they have broken down little shacks that they're meeting in. It's not about the place that you're meeting in. It's about the heart attitude of faith. Our faith first in Christ, and in that, a community is built out of it. That's why he's purposed the church. So there would be a community of believers throughout the earth, loving on each other, encouraging each other, building each other up, representing Christ. Remember what the Word of God says? They will know that you belong to me by your love for one another. Not your love for the world, but your love for one another. The church. That's why we're not to be hurting each other in here. That's why we're not to be fighting for position. That's why we're not trying to, you know, do weird things. No, it's just that, wow, it starts with that faith in Him. I confess this faith in Christ, and in that I can plug in to a community of others who believe, who have that faith. That makes us a family. That's what Jesus was saying. Who are my who are my mothers? Who are my brothers? What is this? No, no, no. Those who do the will of my father are my family. Wow. Take that this week. Meditate upon that. Meditate upon that. And then be excited. To belong to Christ, to fellowship. Meditate on the fact that my life is changed. I've been born again. If you've accepted Jesus, and if you haven't accepted Him, I don't know what you're waiting for. And if you have accepted Him, but you're not obeying, you're just a hero of the Word, I don't know how I would continue to live that way. So let us go forth from today and let us be encouraged in the fact that we belong. And in that, our desires is that others would come to know Him. So get out there, you all, and serve. Get out there and be His hands and be His feet. Proclaim His truth in Jesus' name. Amen? Let me close with this last song.
ください。